All right. Well, um, again, we're in John chapter 1 this morning. And as we, uh, as we kind of look at the passage that we're going to be dealing with, as we consider what it means for us, I just want to uh, kind of prep us by giving us a little bit of background. So um, one of the most consistent pictures that we see in all of the Bible uh, between our relationship to God and God's relationship to us is this metaphor of darkness and light. Like, and, and we see it throughout Scripture, and every different place in Scripture, it kind of has a little bit of nuance in how it's used. But all of them kind of communicate the same basic idea, which is that human beings are in darkness, and that God is where light is. So, so we're going to sit with this and consider it this morning, kind of work through it. But first, I kind of want to bring you into how I process this, or how I figure this out, how I wrap my head around this. Because this concept is so massive. Like darkness and light, these are, these are ideas that have existed for a long time, right? Like why, why does God, why is this thing that he chooses to communicate to us uh, the difference between darkness and light? Like why is that the tool that he uses? Why is this the powerful metaphor? Like why? Why is God's first recorded act in all of scripture the speaking of light into darkness? Like he opens his mouth and says, let there be light, and then light appears. Like what is it about this very first contrast that occurs in all of creation that is so frequently used, and what can we get out of it? So, so I just want to like back up from trying to give uh, exact biblical definitions, and I want to talk about these concepts just very generally. So uh, I have a few questions to walk us through this, and these are kind of the questions that I had to ask myself to start out with. So the first question is, what is darkness? What is darkness? Like, I don't know that we can actually, like, very clearly define darkness. Uh, And this is why. Because you can really only understand darkness by what it's not. Like, you you have to understand the thing that it is kind of different than, the thing that it's the opposite of, because darkness itself has no positive qualities to it. Right? Like, darkness and light, they are not in competition with each other somehow. Like, darkness has to leave wherever light exists. So whenever there is light in a place, darkness automatically goes away from that place. Right? So darkness itself, it doesn't have any substance to it. And so, as a result, what that means is that when we ask what is darkness, we're kind of forced to define it by what it's not. And so, so darkness is the absence of light. Like, darkness is the place where light is not, right? So, okay, so, like, let's take that concept. Darkness is the absence of light. What do we then do with that? So the next question that I kind of walk through in my process as I'm trying to figure out uh, why would we, we would even use this picture. So uh, the second question is this. What's the problem with darkness? So uh, just for a second, I want you to imagine that you are in a pitch black room. Right? All the lights are turned off. Uh, uh, all the windows are closed. You kind of put aluminum foil over as many different places where light could creep in as possible. And uh, you are just kind of stuck in the dark. And you are maybe like stuck there. Maybe imagine you're like locked in this room. You can't go anywhere. Right? Like you're, you're stuck. You can't see anything. Like um, we can agree, I think, generally, that this would not be good. Why? Like, for what it's worth, I mean, this is, this is a torture tool used by other countries, right? To place people in pitch black rooms where they can't see anything, they don't know what's going on. Why can we agree that this, like, would generally not be a good thing? 
Well, because if you're in the dark, then everything is hidden from your sight. Like, you, you don't know what is in the room with you. So, like, if you have to walk somewhere, you might trip. You might bump your head. Like, you might uh, hurt someone else as you are trying to make your way through the darkness. So then, so then what do you do? Like, if, thing, if the room is dark, what do you do? You kind of, you fumble around, right? You move, you move much more slowly than you would have to move. You kind of uh, are taking kind of really, really slow steps and uh, reaching to see if you can feel the wall or feel some objects in the room, right? Because you can't see. And yet, with not seeing, you have to find some way to be able to navigate this room. And there, there are currently unknown things around you. You actually don't know what, what is in this room. And so the problem with darkness is that you lack awareness of the way things are. Like, you lack awareness of what exists in the room. Like, you don't know if you should be looking for a particular thing or what you should be looking for. You just know that whatever is there, you can't see. Right, so, uh, so an illustration of this. Um, in high school, uh, my brother was in grad school at the University of Illinois. We lived in western Illinois. It was about a three, uh, three and a half hour drive from where we lived to uh, Champaign-Urbana, to the University of Illinois. And we would visit him like every three months or so, except we didn't use MapQuest, right? Like we didn't have the GPS on our phones. We didn't have, uh, I mean, we could have used MapQuest, but we were gluttons for punishment. So we just kind of said, oh, we know where we're going and we're gonna make this work. And so, so the first three hours of the trip always happened, no problems. A lot of interstate, a lot of uh, like easy trip to get where we were going. But the last 30 minutes, every single time that we went was always a different story, right? Because inevitably, my parents would be trying to find their way, but they would both be lost. Like, and they would both be, uh, I love my parents, they would both be very assured of their memory of Champaign-Urbana and how to make their way from where we were to my brother's house. And so, uh, as you can imagine, this created some tension in the car, right? Every time that we drove, everybody thought they knew where they were going. And every single time, we would end up lost in Champaign-Urbana. And then we would have to call my brother, and my brother would have to shed some light on our situation to help us figure out how to get from where we were to his house. So like as much as we uh, would have liked to think that we knew the way when we got there, uh, the reality is, is that we lacked awareness of the roads and the streets and where they went and what they were leading to. And so while we thought we knew the way, we didn't actually know where we were going. Right? So this is the problem. We lacked awareness of the way things were in Champaign-Urbana and we didn't know where we were going. So, so okay. That's the problem with darkness. We lack awareness of the thing, way things are. But then uh, there's now a third question, which is, okay, let's then talk about our experience of being in the dark. If we know that we lack awareness, then what is the experience of being in the dark? What is it like to be in the dark? And that is that you are ignorant of which way to go. You are ignorant of which way to go, right? Like, so if we're in, uh, imagine, like you are stuck in a dark room you know that you can't just like stay still in that room, especially if like your solution is to find some way to turn the light on in this room. You know you can't just stay where you are. You're going to have to get up and go somewhere, right? But the problem is we have nothing to guide us, right? Like we're grasping and we're searching and we're fumbling, but like we don't even know what we're looking for. We don't know what it feels like, what it's shaped like. Like we might think that, you know, generally like, oh, everybody in this world. Everybody has like, everybody's searching for God, 
in some way. And there might be some truth to that statement. Or everybody's searching for goodness. Or ultimately, everybody is looking uh, for what's right. And they're just kind of trying to, to make their way towards what's right. But I think, like, we, we might think that all of that is true. But I don't think there's anything in particular that everybody is searching for. Right? Like, at the end of the day, I think we're just a bunch of people trying to figure out how to make our way through the darkness. Right? Like, so, so uh, now, imagine, we've gone from a room full of people uh, people, or full of us, like uh, individuals in pitch black. Imagine now a world full of people who are stuck in pitch black, and they're on their hands and knees, right? And they're feeling around, they're grabbing, they're fumbling for something that will tell them, like, this is the way, right? This is the way you need to go. This is the right way to, to get towards whatever you're supposed to be looking for. Like, this is the way. And occasionally, this happens, as, uh, as people are groping and feeling around, somebody will reach something that feels very significant to them, but they still can't see. So, so when they reach that thing, they'll shout out to everybody, look, I found something. Come here, follow me. Follow me as we like, try to find this thing together. I found something that's the way. And so, so follow my voice. And at the end of the day, what happens is that everybody who follows them just takes another step into darkness because that person still can't see and they don't know what it is that they're touching, right? So what is the end result of this? A world full of people who walk in darkness. This is the metaphor that we're using, but what does it actually result in uh, for the kind of people that we become? So uh, maybe you've heard this song before. Uh, Some of you, uh, Frank Sinatra wrote a really popular song called My Way, uh, and so if you've heard this song before, I've, I've listened to the lyrics a few times. I uh, was in a chorus one time that sang this, and I had like just really hard time even letting the words leave my mouth. Uh, so I, I just, I want you to hear kind of the impression underneath this song, because I think this is the reality of what it means to walk in darkness. So uh, I, I'm going to read a verse and then uh, kind of like a bridge section of this. So the verse is this. Uh, regrets. I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and much uh, more, much more than this, I did it my way. Right, so, so he's saying, uh, I could, like, I, you, a lot of people trying to make their way. Uh, I planned out uh, my path, the path that I was going to go. And even though I have a few regrets, I figured this out for myself. I made my way. And then he goes on in this little bridge, bridge section and says this, For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels, right? The things that he's grabbed onto, not to say those. Uh, and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show I took all the blows and did it my way. What he's implying there is that people who pray, people who trust God, people who look for light from another source, they're not being genuine to themselves. And what you really need to do to find your way is be genuine to yourself and make your way because that's what I did and I did it my way and let the record show that I took all the blows in order to do that. Right, so listen, listen to these words from Isaiah 59, 9 to 10. Verse 9 says, Therefore justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us we hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness but we walk in gloom verse 10 we grope for the wall like the blind 
we grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. And so, so today we are continuing a series called Jesus in an Insidious World. And we're in John chapter one and uh, what we're discovering is that John kind of brings forth dark and troublesome realities about our world. He says these are things that we should be concerned about. And then he says it's really significant that, that Jesus would choose to enter into a world that has these realities. Right? So let's redefine insidious for us so we kind of remember what it is. Insidious is something that is proceeding in a gradual and subtle way but with harmful effects. And I think that darkness is perhaps for us the most insidious of our realities. Because people like to think that they know the way. People like to think that they've figured things out. People like to think that they can see. Like, okay, so uh, back in the 1700s, there was this massive movement of knowledge and science and people learning a lot of things, this movement of learning and rationalism. And um, what did we call that? We called it the Enlightenment. Right? We called it like, oh, it's been dark for all of this time, but now that we have science and now that we can learn and now that we're rational beings, you know what? It's, oh, we can finally see things as they are. And you know what? This is like history is full of people who think that they found the way. But at the end of the day, we're just people who are groping in the dark. And Jesus is the one who shows up into the middle of this situation as the antidote, right? Like, so if the experience of being in the dark is, is simply like being ignorant of which way to go, then I want to ask the question this morning, and this is what's going to move us forward into our passage. How does Jesus meet us in the darkness of our ignorance? So John answers that question for us, and he's going to give us four key ways that Jesus meets us. So in John 1 verse 4, we looked at this last week. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Right, so if you haven't been able to listen to last week's sermon, I'd really encourage you to go onto our website to find that and to listen to it, because it talked about uh, what it means that Jesus came to give life. Like, so, so our problem, we lack awareness, right? We are overwhelmed with possibilities of ways that we could go, but we can't actually see anything. Right, so let's talk about this idea of being overwhelmed for just a second. Like, has anyone ever been overwhelmed with a bunch of things that you have to get done? Like, there's just like a series of things on your to-do list, and you feel like you're drowning in all of the things that have to get done. Right, you have all of these unfinished tasks. There are like, like there's so much that you need to make sure happens, and you don't even know where to start. Right, so you might have had this experience like I've had this experience before. So what do you do about this experience? Like you have two options on the table. So the first option is, is that you kind of launch into despair and distress and maybe engage in some emotional like unhealthy eating and, and get some ice cream and kind of make yourself feel better for a little bit. But then after you do that, right, uh, you are going to have to go back and realize, okay, the ice cream isn't actually going to solve this series of tasks that I have to uh, solve. So then what do you do after that? Well, inevitably, everybody, like, you have to sit down and you start making a list, right? Like, what are all the things that I, that I have to do? What are these tasks that I'm drowning in? So you, so you make a list, and then you kind of ask a question after you look at the whole list, like, okay, what on this list is most important? 
right? So then you start moving things around on the list. You prioritize things and you make sure that like the most important things that you get those done. And uh, interestingly, like as you get those most important things done, they take such a load of that weight of feeling overwhelmed off of you, right? So you prioritize things and you say, what is most important? I want to let you know, like as John says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. What he's doing for us is he is kind of prioritizing what is most important for us, right? Like, so what do you say when you want to kind of treat your concern with priority, right? Like when you say this thing is really, really important and I need to make sure that this thing gets done. What is like the words that you say? You say, it's a matter of life and death, right? Like this is so important. This is a matter of life and death. I have to make sure that this gets done, right? And so if the issue that we're dealing with primarily in Jesus is that he is life, in him is life, then I would say that that makes this issue pretty important. So if we're talking about being overwhelmed by darkness and how do we figure this out, John kind of comes out of the gate and says, hey, this is of primary importance for you. Like if you want to figure out which way to go, if you want to try to make your list, let's put this thing at the top. Like, so if I really don't know where I'm going or what to do, I want to listen to the person that says life is here, right? Because if that's true, and if I actually, like, if I don't get life, then I don't get anything else. That's what's most important. So, so the kind of first answer to our question of, like, how does Jesus meet us in the darkness of our ignorance? The first answer to that question is that Jesus holds the thing of highest value. Right, like Jesus holds the thing of highest priority for us. Jesus holds the thing that's at the top of the list, right? Like if this thing is true, then nothing else should matter or everything should like orient towards this thing, right? So he's given us a kind of order of priority to begin making our way. And then in verse five, it says this. It says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So here, um, there's a subtle shift in John's language. Because up to this point, uh, he is talking about who Jesus was. That Jesus was in the beginning. That Jesus was with God. uh, That Jesus uh, has done things in the past, right? But now, his attention goes to what Jesus is currently doing right now. The present, Right, so he says the light shines, which implies that like right now the light is shining. So this means that John, he's like considering the work of Jesus, actually like after Jesus has already ascended. Right, he's saying that right now Jesus' light is shining. Right, and, and people who were blind right now are having their eyes open. And people are receiving life from Jesus right now. And this is some 50 years after he has died and left the earth, right? Which means that John has in his mind right now the existence of the church. The existence of Christians. Like, so when John says the light shines, it's shining right now. He's saying like the current Christian movement right, the people who represent Jesus on this earth right now, the current Christian movement is spreading throughout the known world. And the message of the gospel of Jesus is meeting people. And the message of the gospel of Jesus is changing lives. And the church is doing its work. And uh, this people who are part of this Jewish sect, which happens to be called, by the way, the way, right? Like in the book of Acts, we learn quite early on, like this, these people, these people who are following Jesus, they're part of this sect called the way. Right? And they 
are now moving through the world and it says the light is shining in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Right, so let's talk about this word overcome then. So uh, let's define it. To overcome means to uh, attack and defeat at the end of a pursuit. So the word overcome gives, gives the idea of something being chased and then finally being defeated. Right, so, so what he's saying is when the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, he's giving the idea that the darkness is like chasing after the light. The darkness is trying to kind of uh, overwhelm the light, trying to attack the light. But at the end of the day, like the, the darkness is not able to pursue or persecute the light. It's not able to overcome it. So what that means is as he looks at this Jewish sect of people, the Christians of the day called the way, he's looking at the darkness trying to persecute or pursue the way. He's looking at all of the challenges that this movement of Jesus has faced. And he's calling it the darkness. Right? So he's looking at Jewish religious leaders who love the darkness so much that they killed the one who was called the light. Right? He's looking at Jewish persecution of people who proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. And those people were sent out from Jerusalem. They, they were driven out of Jerusalem because the Jewish people didn't want them there. He's looking at uh, opposition to the bringing together of Jew and Gentile to follow the way. He's looking at how people rose up and they said, we don't like the fact that Jews and Gentiles are being joined together. He's looking at various attempts by the Roman government to use Christians as scapegoats and to challenge kind of their proclamation that Jesus is Lord and their refusal to say that Caesar is Lord, right? So he's looking at all of these realities of the, the persecution that Christians in the day are facing. And in just a few years after the beginning of this movement, the Christian uh, movement, full of people who, by the way, are kind and generous and loving, they faced incredible opposition of all kinds from all sorts of outside forces. And John says, Jesus, his message, his people, his gospel, his way, regardless of all of that, it continues to move forward. People continue to believe in Jesus and follow the way. And the darkness has tried to stop him, but it has not overcome the light. All right, so this is really what John is doing for the people who are listening. He is kind of building an apologetic for following Jesus, right? Because he's, he's saying the darkness has been trying to overcome the light, but it has not been successful, right? So, so as he, he's trying to convince people to believe, he starts with, hey, by the way, this thing in Jesus, it is the thing of highest value. And secondly, this way, this thing, this uh, thing that Jesus is doing, it has been tried and tested by the worst kinds of fires, and it has prevailed every single time. Like it has remained, and it's by no human power that it has remained. Right? What did they do? They killed Jesus. What did Jesus do? He rose from the dead. Right, what did they do? They chased the Jewish Christians out of Jerusalem. What happened next? Well, those Jewish Christians who were chased out of Jerusalem started churches in cities and started seeing people come to Jesus. Uh, what happened? Rome was trying to execute church leaders. So what happened after that? You know what? Uh, for every church leader that they killed, three more church leaders popped up around them to lead more of God's church and lead more people to faith. This way has been tested time and time again, and it still remains powerful. Right, so the second answer to this question, how does Jesus meet us in our darkness, 
is that Jesus' way keeps prevailing over and over and over again. And it goes on in uh, verses 6 and 7, and it says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through so here, uh, John, the writer of this gospel, is introducing us to Jesus. And so what he does is he tells us about another John, uh, John the Baptist. But in telling us about John, what he's actually doing is he's telling us about Jesus. Right? So, so there was a guy who gained significant and prominent influence. Right? That's, that's who John the Baptist was. In fact, as his readers would know, John the Baptist would have been a pretty well-known guy in their minds for the most part. Right? What they would have known is that people came from all around to hear John the Baptist preach. Uh, That people came from all around to dedicate their lives to John the Baptist's message. Right? But all of his influence at the end of the day, and this is what uh, John the gospel writer is telling us, all of his influence, it mattered for one thing. He wanted people to trust Jesus. All uh, All of his influence, it mattered for the fact that like he wanted people to follow Jesus. So, so the gospel writer, John, is saying before Jesus even showed up, this really influential guy who was drawing many people to hear him preach and hear him say things, he was telling people about Jesus, right? To prepare those people to trust in Jesus when he finally did come. So this word, he uses this word believe so that many would, or so that all would believe through his message. Believe, this is a word frequently used and for what it's worth, it is a a huge theme in all of John's gospel, right? Belief at the end of the day, it is, uh, we think of it like, oh, if I just kind of acknowledge certain things in my head, uh, right? But belief at the end of the day is actually about confidence and trust. Like, what do you place your confidence in? What do you place your trust in? Like, what, so, okay, if belief is about confidence and trust, what do people who are in the dark need? Right, like, we can't see anything. We're fumbling around. We're moving slowly. We're just trying to make our way. We need something that can give us firm confidence that the way that we're going is the right way. We need something that can actually like turn on the light for us. We need something that can help us see the things that we are currently not able to see. Like the things that we don't even know to look for, the right way to go, right? Like the things that are true, the things to look out for, the things that really matter, right? And so that's what, like when John the Baptist comes and talks about Jesus, that was his goal. He used his influence to show people that Jesus was the one who could hold their confidence, Right? He uses influence so that every person might find their confidence in Jesus. So we are those who have heard the message about Jesus and we have had scales fall off of our eyes. So what happens as a result? In him, we see the things that are good and right. We know the things that we ought to do. Like in him, we understand what is true. We're able to discern and understand our world around us because we've met him, because we've believed in him. All of this is true because he came and he gave us a source of confidence and now we can interpret the whole world through who he is and what he's done for us. So the third answer to this question about how Jesus meets us in our darkness is this, that Jesus is a source of real confidence. 
right? As people fumble around in the dark, everybody's reaching around and groping at the walls and trying to find things. And they're saying, hey, follow me, go this, this way. But Jesus came in from the outside as true and real light to give us confidence in him that we could trust him to make our way, to actually show us the way that we should go. So uh, finally, in verses 9 through 13, this is what the Apostle John says. He says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Right, what he's saying is that, uh, that this light came into the world and uh, even revealed himself to people, helped uh, them to understand who he is. But at the end of the day, uh, what we saw is that many who were in the world still uh, could not understand him, right? still could not know him, still didn't uh, relate to him, still didn't follow him, still didn't trust him. Right? That's what he's saying. And then verse 11, he says this. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Right, so there's a reality that we have to deal with, which is that many people prefer dark. Right? Like, we have been given light. Light has come to us, but light has come into this world. Like, the good news about Jesus has come into this world to many, many people. And often, we choose not to see that light. Right, so, so anyone can learn about Jesus, can see Jesus, can understand the things that were written about Jesus. In fact, anyone, even the people who lived at the time that Jesus was walking the earth, saw him. They saw him perform miracles. They witnessed the amazing things that he did. But, Unfortunately, sometimes, like, we close our eyes and close our ears and convince ourselves that it's still dark. And we continue our fumbling around. So, so Jesus comes, and then people are interested and intrigued in who he is, and they, they watch him off from afar, and they're amazed by what he did. But here's the thing, and here's why we stay in the darkness. Because you can't encounter Jesus without realizing that, that when you encounter him, you actually have to decide something, right? You have to decide to let Jesus redefine reality for you, right? Like at the end of the day, when you encounter Jesus and people all the time, when they saw him, they realized like, okay, he's not just amazing. He's not just really interesting, but I have to do something with him. I have to actually let him redefine reality for me. Like his words, his action, his work, they're all oriented around bringing light to people who have only known darkness for our whole lives. And the reality is that we tend to like finding our own way in the darkness over having someone come in and tell us what is true and right and what is the way for us. That's why the religious leaders killed Jesus. Because Jesus came in and showed them the light, the light about who he is, that he is the son of God, and showed them the light, the light about the law that they had taken and corrupted and made it for something that was for man's purposes instead of for God's purposes. 
right? It's, it's why many disciples abandoned Jesus when he was ministering on the earth because uh, Jesus said some really kind of off-the-wall things like, uh, you need to take up your cross daily and follow after me. He said some really off-the-wall things like, if you uh, don't eat my body and drink my blood, then you have no part with me, right? He says these really challenging things all the time, and he's coming in as the light to redefine reality, and at the end of the day, people abandoned him because they liked making their own way themselves. It's because they didn't want to give up the lie of the darkness that helped them find their own way, this darkness that they love. So, so Jesus tells us about this. In John three nineteen, this is what he said. He said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. All right, so, so here's the point of all of that. You can't encounter Jesus for long without realizing that you have to do something with Jesus. And kind of from a big picture reality perspective, you are, when you encounter Jesus, you are either choosing to follow him or to ignore what he's actually saying. And everybody has to make that decision because of who he is. Like by his nature, you have to make a decision what to do with him. Right, so our fourth answer for how does Jesus meet us in our darkness is that encountering Jesus necessitates a response. Like he puts us in a position where we can't actually like decide not to do something with him. Like when we see Jesus, we go, okay. Like there's something so amazing about him that I either have to walk away from him or I have to follow him. And so then for everyone who has confidence in the name of Jesus, I want you to hear these words of hope that John writes at the end of this section. He says this, but to all who did receive him, right? There are many who encountered Jesus, who were uh, kind of pushed away by the idea that they might have to redefine reality through Jesus, right? But let's not talk about them for a second. To everyone who did receive Jesus, who had confidence in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. John says like, okay, there might be a lot of people who have turned away and not followed, and, but there's this reality of those who have been drawn in by the light of Jesus. He gives those drawn in by, by the light this amazing hope they can have God as their father who cares for them, who loves them, who oversees them, who uh, literally gives them new life, that they're born of God. And that is an amazing gift. So, um, so our main point this morning, as Jesus has come into the world, he's shown us his light. Our, our main point this morning is this, is that we fumble in the dark. We are just trying to find our way until we follow Jesus. Okay, so what? So what? What do we do with that reality? Number one, in a world that absorbs light, those of us who actually believe are mirrors. So, uh, okay, so you can, uh, this is like an interior decorating thing. You can decorate a room to absorb light 
right? So that uh, you kind of put darker colors so, uh, so that there's not as much reflection, or you can decorate that room to reflect light. So you paint it with lighter colors, and what that does is that kind of lightens up the room. It makes it easier to see in the room. So if you, if you uh, paint the walls darker, the darkness absorbs the light, and it doesn't reflect as much. It's much harder to see, right? That's kind of the difference that we're dealing with. Uh, so, you know, those are options. You have kind of more absorbing colors and more reflective colors. And then like kind of the most reflecting thing that you have is a mirror, right? So that if you, uh, if you were to build a room that had all mirrors in it and light shines into that room, uh, what happens is that light source doesn't just go in one direction, but it goes in every direction. So that light actually like fills up the whole room so that you can actually see things. Right? And then Jesus like does these things where he calls us the light of the world. So like just watch what happens with this mirror. What you don't know, if you're watching in the camera online or whatever, uh, I mean, you might know it because you've been here in this room before, but what you don't know is that there is this kind of massive bright spotlight that is blinding me in my face right now that I like, it's overwhelming to me. Uh, and so you like, you are, aren't aware of this. In fact, I probably look very normal to you on the camera, right? So, so you're not aware, like I'm actually absorbing light right now. I'm absorbing the power of this spotlight so that I can appear normal to you on camera. But then I actually want to do something. There we go. So, uh, so then if I take this mirror and I um, just kind of, there we go. Can you see? So now you see that there is, like this mirror is just like a, a large glowing rectangle to you, right? Like that's, that's what you see. You see the power of the light that's shining on me because I am no longer absorbing the light, but I am reflecting the light back to you. Right? And so when Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world, he's telling us that we are the ones who are not absorbing the light, but we are becoming like mirrors to the world around us. So his light is shining on us and we're reflecting that to the world. Right? So this is what he says in Matthew 5.14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. So, like, our responsibility, the thing that we're called to do, we are not just called to receive the light and bask in the light and to absorb the light, but we're called to be mirrors, to show that light to people around us. We simply reflect Jesus to others. Right? So as Jesus changes us and makes us more into his image, right, teaches us what it means to treat others with love and to care for those people around us. And yes, to even do the things that uh, are much harder than we would choose to do ourselves, right? As he does those things and as he shapes us into the people he wants us to be, then we begin becoming Christ in those places. We reflect the light of Christ to those around us. And then like when we open our mouths and share truths about who Jesus is and uh, kind of people can see in us sharing our words, the genuineness of the things that we believe, then we reflect the intensity of the light, right? And so like we get the impression, we get really worried, like our job is to handle how people respond to the gospel, respond to the truth about Jesus, respond to who Jesus is. Here's the thing, our job is to simply be mirrors. Like we simply reflect, right? Their response to who Jesus is, like we just have to reflect the powerful light, right? 
their response to who Jesus is is at the end of the day between them and God. But we just show them the Jesus who is powerful enough to shake up their situation and to force them to say, I either am going to choose to walk away from that or I'm going to choose to follow him. Right? Okay, so in a world that absorbs light, we are mirrors. So what, number two? What would Jesus do, WWJD? This is something that's fallen out of uh, style for a while because we used to wear the bracelets and we made it this really cheesy thing, right? But uh, what would Jesus do is a question that brings light. So uh, we can think of this in one of two ways. When we ask what would Jesus do, uh, we can sometimes ask that question in judgment of our neighbors, right? So like, oh, they're not doing what Jesus would do. Right? So we have to go tell them that they're not doing what Jesus would do. That's not the goal of this question. This is all about you. Like when you figure out, like when you're trying to determine the right ways to respond in a situation, it is typical of us because we walked in darkness to obey our feelings and what our feelings would tell us is the right way to respond because we are those groping in the dark. But what would Jesus do is a good question for us that actually brings light to our situation. Like as we observe Jesus in the gospel, as we observe the way that he responds to people, as we observe the ways that he uh, both lays down his life in some places and stands firm in other places, uh, like as we just look at who Jesus is, right, we begin to learn something about the ways that we ought to respond. And more often than not, it's not the ways that we feel we should respond. Right? So, so we ask this question, what would Jesus do? Because we're trying to grasp and understand who Jesus is and apply who he is to the ways that we respond in our various situations. Right? Like, this is what it means to, to live according to what is right. right? Like, we understand what is right through the lens of who Jesus is. Right? So that's number two. And then finally, number three. If Jesus is light, which he is, And if we need light, which we do, we should probably read the Gospels more. Right? Like, if we're we're trying to grasp, if we want our whole person to be invested in both receiving what Jesus has to give, but then also reflecting that to other people. Like, if that is the thing that we were made for, if that's what we were built for, if the meaning of all of our lives is wrapped up in this reality then we should spend a lot of time just trying to understand who Jesus is, right? Understand who uh, the writers, the gospel writers saw him to be. Understand who they're trying to reflect as they write those words about him down and uh, for us trying to understand like who we ought to become in order to better receive the gifts that he has to give us, but then to better uh, reflect who he is to the world around us. So with all that being said, would you pray with me, please? But Jesus, my um, ask, my request this morning is that you would be shaping us into the people that you desire us to be. Lord, I thank you that we can know the kind of people that you desire us to be. Right? Because you have shown your light. You have taught us what is good and right. Right? And you gave your very life You rose from that death that had been done that you gave yourself, you willingly sacrificed yourself for so that you might be able to extend this light to us so that we could actually receive it and begin to understand who you are. 
right? That the light of the love of God for us showed up so powerfully in your self-sacrificial death that it would shatter our world and help us to understand who you are and what you want, what you desire, and help us to begin walking in alignment with those things. Right, so let us be done with the unfruitful works of darkness. Of people who are groping, who are fumbling around in the dark. The kind of light that you have to offer us. Lord Jesus, thank you for these things. Thank you for giving us light. Thank you for showing us the truth of who you are, for shining light on to our situation that we could actually know who you are. And we didn't just have to go around trying to figure things out for ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we close this morning, church, I want to give you these words of encouragement from Colossians chapter 1. It says, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. Alliance Bible Church, it has been such a pleasure and a joy and a privilege to worship with you this morning. Thank you so much for worshiping with us.